This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic. I have a problem. I look like Jared Padalecki. I got them Supernaturals. So my value right now is zero. If you think about it, AI is actually the fastest path to communism. Forced farming is really not a vibe. Okay. Um, hello, pay pigs and prayer warriors. It's me. I'm it's just Cerise. No Kendall this time. Um, it's this is a, an emergency podcasting session. Um, and so I, I called in the only person that I knew was qualified for what we're doing today, um, which is justified reverse racism um against white south africans uh <laughs> and so i brought in uh, everyone's everyone's favorite my cousin sibu um who is here for our march madness biracial ranking episode oh hi yeah so i'm back may madness now um and uh it's yeah it's been a couple of months a lot of things have happened uh the madness continues here so i'm actually on a time limit Ooh. we've got what i think you americans will soon experience called load shedding so that's kind of like uh what the texans went through with no electricity so it was kind of being rotated in and out um so in about two hours they're going to turn off our electricity for two hours and then uh Maybe it'll happen again tomorrow. We'll see. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, lots of fun. Um, Why is that happening? So there's, I have a theory. Um, I think the main theory, the main thing, the reason why it's happening is to destabilize our nationalized electricity provider so that it can be privatized, portioned off and sold to uh, independent companies that will then be able to uh, turn electricity from a uh, public good, public service, into a tiered system where you have premium users who get constant supply and pay the most, and then all the way down to people who face like uh, windows of use where they then also get charged extreme amounts if they go outside of those windows. So that's why I think it's happening. But why it's happening on a sort of like functional technical level, um, we don't have enough supply to meet demand essentially so not enough substations power stations and the infrastructure that connects those to the end user so it's one of the uh, sort of holdovers from apartheid which is a nice segue into uh our topic for today i think yeah that's so interesting i mean i guess that's how we do electricity here already but it's pretty bad um so it's, I guess, too bad that, like, it's probably going to be moved away from a national, uh, like, a, like, a national public thing. Huh. Well, I, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. So no, no internet for two hours. Well, we've got a workaround for that. We bought uh, um, UPS, which we're kind of abusing. <laughs> we've turned it into a little um, uh, internet uh router supplier so it's the only thing that runs when the power's off 
And it runs oh, yeah. for just about the exact amount of time as a load scheduling, I mean, load shedding uh, block is scheduled, so two hours. Um, so if we've got our gadgets and things powered up, charged up, then we can make it through. Um, but if it's a extreme case of load shedding, it goes on for two and a half hours. And then that's why, well, half an hour without any power. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into like our actual topic topic, I just, I have to address um, what I think is at least the elephant in the room for me, which is that the last time that you were on my podcast, you devastated me um you struck a a deep emotional blow um to my my inner self my psyche um by revealing that uh the european side of our family is not irish like i thought um but but it's english uh <laughs> which i'm i'm still very upset about um because like as i mean as far as genres of white people go i feel like if you're if you're gonna be one like irish is is the best um they have a really long history of like solidarity with other indigenous people um and they also like just have not colonized the entire world the way that um the english or some other groups have um and i was i was wondering if maybe Maybe you've found out since then that we're actually not English and we, we are Irish? Well, unfortunately, no, but I have spoken <laughs> to, my, to my dad about it a little bit more. And what I have discovered is that, um, our, you know, maybe this is better, maybe this is worse, but our, no. uh, <laughs> our white <laughs> ancestor was... Um, basically like impoverished white so poor white and coming to SA was an opportunity to move up in the world which I think isn't like unusual as far as like the the cannon fodder of imperialism goes um and you know him marrying into an established uh or him marrying someone who was uh, already sort of established in the community was a way for sort of social mobility, but uh, kind of like uh, with a reverse, uh, re with a reverse racial direction, if that makes sense. So the way that it used to be understood is that if you are like a former slave marrying a white person, that's to your advantage. But for this guy, it would have probably been the other way. By marrying a former slave, it was to his advantage because he was moving into this community that was ready to accept him because they don't see him as lesser. Whereas in uh, colonial white spaces in South Africa, he's just a bum who's, you know, uh, coming through from England where he would have been at the lower uh, end of the social ladder. So he's not seen as all that uh, important, uh, but he, he can kind of like have a claim to some sort of importance or legitimacy by integrating into this uh, former slave colored community. Um, That's so interesting. That's really interesting because I was wondering, I think I just like thinking about it from an American perspective, I was like, I don't understand why this white man 
would marry like someone who was an informer slaved person because uh i feel like here the white people who are getting involved with um you know like the the descendants of slaves and like former slaves around the same time were very much not marrying them so i was i was interested in why that was happening but i guess that that makes a lot of sense was that common well i'm not actually sure um, I imagine it would be somewhat commonplace because if you take a look at the sort of recorded histories of families in uh, the Western Cape, um, where you know the sort of uh, colored communities were created, uh, or at least the sort of the ones that we're a part of, at least um, you get you get kind of like three surnames or genres of surnames. So you get um, colors, days of the week, months, um, and those are your sort of, uh, those are the slave surnames. So if a person was sold in September, then their surname would become September. Hmm. Uh, then you would get um, the European surnames. So like ours, monsters. Um, another very popular one is Williams. Um, so that could be from intermarriage or sometimes uh, slaves would take on the surname of the uh, person or the family that owned them. And then the last one is not really linked to um, the slave ancestry or the uh slave history of colored people, but more something that took place in apartheid where you could reclassify. Uh, so if you were a light-skinned enough uh, colored person, you could reclassify and be seen as white by the law. But whether you would be seen as white by colored communities or white communities is another question. Um, and you could also uh, have people who are sort of um, seen as like, um, Bantu or uh, racialized as Black African, who could then also um, reclassify as colored because that would afford them more uh, benefits under apartheid because of that sort of hierarchy of race. So it wouldn't be much better, but it would still be somewhat better. And what often, what often happened would be a translation of surnames. So going from something like Ndlovu to Olifant, which both mean elephant. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that last one is possibly apocryphal, but it holds enough water in my in my mind that it's uh, <laughs> likely. But you know, if anyone can prove me wrong, I'd be delighted. Uh, you know, to have a little bit of my worldview shaken, then we'd be we'd be kind of we'd be kind of even. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't think no. we'll ever be even. This is because <laughs> I already have um, my dad's side of the family to reckon with. Although I think that my dad's um, like side of the family, which as far as I know is just is just white people, um, they did not get up to anything evil in the United States, and they've been here for a really long time because they have been poor the whole time, um, which seems like. I, I mean, I would prefer that to, to them, like, having a lot of money and having to wonder about how they earned that or how they came into that. 
Um, but it, it does also, you know, make me a little bit frustrated because it's like, where's that, where's that white privilege? Like, I'd like, I'd like to tap into a little bit of that. Um, but I was really hoping that our side of the family, at least, would have no evil in it as well. But I guess if he was a poor English guy, maybe a little bit better. But like, he was still coming from Ireland, right? Like, he was from like England and then Ireland to South Africa. So he was just like visiting all of the colonized places until he could figure out where, like where he could ingrate himself into. Possibly. I mean, uh, I'll see how much further my dad's gotten in his research. Maybe there's some, some insights, some, uh, yeah, some, something interesting that might've popped up. Um, People used to just be able to do anything back then. Like in the 1800s, you could just show up to a brand new town and like pick a fight with like the biggest guy in that town and be like, yeah, I'm in charge now. Um. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the, the internet as it is, Web2 has really hamstrung our opportunities for personal development. Um, mm. you know, I, was, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, another little apocryphal note, I think it was Rod Stewart and one of the Beatles were showing each other uh, Polaroids of this girl that they were dating, and then it turns out that they're dating the same person. Um, and you can't do that on the with the internet today. Like, you know, you show a picture of your partner, and then people come out of the woodwork saying, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I just spent it's, the last weekend with them. It's very hard to have a second family these days. Uh, you know, not, not to mention that the cost of having a, a second family has probably gone way up, but... How are, you, how are you going to keep that a secret? The internet's made it hard to cheat. People people come to you as a woman. They come into your DMs and they say, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, girly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, do you, do you have any other, like, shocking family revelations for me? Or uh, am, I, am I safe for now? You're safe for now. Okay. I, you have to tell your dad to stop digging. I don't think I like what I'm learning. Oh yeah, you can't you can't hide the truth forever. I I, I can. Um. So today we are we're talking about. Um, would you consider Elon to be like your tethered in a way, since he's also South African by way of Canada? Uh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I guess if that's all it takes, then sure. <laughs> I get. I mean, if we if we want to look for more um links, you know, we we went to the same high school. We graduated mm -hmm. from the same high school. Um, we both lived in the same town, obviously, since we went to that that uh, high school in common. Um, but I think that's probably where it ends. Um, it seems like he was kind of like a computer nerd who was interested in how computers work and I was more of a computer nerd who was interested in how to play games on computers mm -hmm. so I, I followed the path that has much less uh money available <laughs> at the end <laughs> um, so I guess in that sense yeah we we are each other's shadows and inverses <laughs> mm -hmm. um, um well, and our, our terrible listeners were being extremely xenophobic after you guessed it the last time. And someone said that you sound like Elon, which is not true. Um, and then someone said that you had the same accent as him, which is also not true. But then like three people said that your accent was hot, which no one has ever said about Elon's accent. So 
I think you might be safe, but I I think yeah. My my first question um, to to understand the the character that is a white South African to get me to understand why Elon is like that is why why is his accent so bad? Because you sound great, and then all of our other cousins and family members they sound fantastic. But whenever I've met a white South African, either out in the wild or I have to like see them on TV, they sound like like I feel like it's a it's an untapped market for Hollywood for what ethnicity of people they could be using for villains because it just is like a it is like a very villainous accent um I don't know why but they like there's just something about it that immediately is like horrifying and like sends a chill up my spine yeah so I think um the South African sort of Afrikaner accent has actually become a bit of a politically neutral uh, shorthand for a mercenary because um, um, that who's that guy who acted as Gollum? He he was in um, <laughs> Black Panther, um, mm. and his accent there was meant to be South African. It sounded pretty convincing. Um, but I think just, you know, being an African person watching that movie, all of those accents were like all over the place. Yeah. Um, I was trying to figure out like where Wakanda was supposed to be, but I did not pick up on, is his name like Martin something like Martin Freeman, right? I, I don't yeah. think I picked up on him being white South African, but that adds a really funny layer to all of it that like, cause he's, they like shoot people on his behalf so that he can come and start taking resources from Wakanda, right? No, no, that was the, that was the other guy in, in The Hobbit. Um, so I think Martin Freeman played Bulbo, young Bulbo. Okay. Um, I've, I can't remember this guy's name. I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, but he's like, a, in any movie that's had any kind of like motion capture person, it's him. Um, Got it. But yeah, so Andy Serkis, that's his name. Um, so Andy Serkis's character, uh, he, he has a sort of South African Afrikaner accent. He's a mercenary um, in a video game that came out a couple of years ago, Apex Legends. In the trailer, the mercenary that's introducing the idea of the game, he's also got this uh, South African accent. And in one of the Die Hard movies, or maybe it was Lethal Weapon, the terrorists are uh, Afrikaans as well. So I think... Um, with their attempted attack of the World Trade Center in the 90s. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They became a a nice face for... um, They became a nice face or voice for uh, extremism that wasn't necessarily brown or Russian. Um, So yeah, I think there's definitely room for that to grow. Um, And I think with all the sort of South African mercenaries that have been caught trying to... Uh, overthrow other countries um (laughs) it's one that's not too detached from reality Uh, it's it's justified i think yeah it's got some uh contemporary and historical basis uh and and you know the added benefit of it being a group of people with historical colonial power uh, and racist authority means that it's almost like you know a guilt-free yogurt snack in that <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly meaningless mm-hmm. but, um, you know it, it kind of gets the job done um 
so yeah, I think as for Elon, God, I can't even place his accent anymore. Uh, it doesn't really sound like a very South African accent to me, but I guess mine doesn't really sound like a very South African accent to other South Africans. So maybe it's that hybridization of, you know, growing up here, moving somewhere else, um, moving to Canada, or in my case, learning to speak in Canada, then coming to South Africa. So there's like that sort of watering down of each with the other. Um, but I think... Yeah, I, I didn't know that you learned to speak in Canada. Oh, yeah. I stayed there until I was like about to turn six. So, oh. Yeah. And uh, just never let go. Um, <laughs> but I would say one of the things that sort of gets me about a lot of South African uh, accents and specifically like white English or white Afrikaans is that I think they've been here so long that they're detached from any sort of modern accents in Europe. So they sound alien here and elsewhere. Uh, I guess it's kind of like how, you know, Americans sound the way British people did at some point, but then there was that pivot towards received English and Americans just never went further or if they did it was sort of in, in their own direction um, so I think in South Africa you've got like you know your sort of volley accent where that's that's where I'm from where Elon's from the Transvaal and then it's like these sort of drawn out vowels so like yeah bro how's it going eh yeah oaks we had a kiff weekend there it's just looking looking really lonely um <laughs> And don't ask me to interpret or uh, translate what any of that means. It's just like, uh, yeah, man, had a ga- had a great time this weekend. Um, <laughs> but it, it does get kind of grating. Um, and I remember the first time I encountered it as a, as a child, I wasn't absolutely certain that we were both speaking English. <laughs> so I think yeah, it's just a, uh, it's it's just been isolated for long enough and. Uh, People have been able to create their own, what are essentially pigeons and uh, creolized versions of the former uh, European languages that they are sort of like similar enough to be mutually intelligible, but they, they've deviated very hard. Uh, and that's, that's basically the case for Afrikaans. You know, it was the language that uh, slaves in, in the Cape had to... Uh, had to create in order to speak to each other coming from different parts of the world, as well as the slave owners coming from uh, Holland primarily. So that's why it's got such a strong Dutch basis, but then it has a lot of uh, Asian words thrown into it and indigenous South African words as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a interesting little salad of, uh, influences and histories and uh, languages put together. Um, And then under apartheid as a form of nation building, one of the many projects that was conducted was to unify Afrikaans as a language rather than a bunch of disparate dialects. So scholars were sent to Holland, um, to to the Netherlands to learn uh, proper Dutch and bring back its Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and bring bring back to South Africa the structure of uh, Dutch and make Afrikaans more like Dutch. Uh, oh, that's so terrible. 
Yeah, so that's that's the sort of academic Afrikaans that you learn at high school and primary school versus the more organic Afrikaans that's spoken by um, like our family and then also like some uh, groups of white South Africans who grow up speaking a more colloquial form of Afrikaans. So, yeah, that's a little rambly snippet into why some people sound the way they do. Yeah, but I just feel like, like God really must be looking out for the people of New Jersey because the same thing happened here where I guess, you know, like the, the British accent that came here sort of morphed into its own thing. Um, but the New Jersey accent is so nice. Uh, <laughs> and yet... Ila, he sounds so scary. He's he does something with his R's that really isn't is not like fitting with me. Um, and like when I, there's there's actually a lot of white South Africans in the United States. Um, when I was younger, I used to get excited when I met someone from South Africa, and they were always white. And then I started noticing um, a pattern because I would be like, "Oh, that's so cool! Like that's where my family's from. When did your family come here?" And they'd be like, hmm, like 1996, uh, <laughs> 1995. I don't, and I was like, oh, wait, I think I, I know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. so a, lot of, a lot of them in Australia, too. Yes. Uh, so we've got a joke that Australia and New Zealand are the um, ninth and t- uh, tenth and eleventh province because uh, there's so many people who just moved there from South Africa. Um and yeah, it's, it's usually you get sort of two flavors of people, people who go there because they found a job and then people who go there because they're not so happy with the change in disposition <laughs> in mm-hmm. South Africa. Um, so yeah, the, there's um, there's a lot of people, I think, who uh, realize that maybe they missed the boat and didn't leave in time <laughs> in 1994. Uh, so there, there's still like drips of people going. It's like the sort of continuation of the great trek, I suppose. Yeah. Finding finding the sort of promised land um, and uh, hoping for a better uh, future for, you know, your kith and your kin. <laughs> yeah, I like there's a lot of them in Seattle, which makes sense because Seattle is like it's like an ethno state. It's like 80 percent white or something. It's it's like the racial dynamics there are way off from the rest of the country. And I remember like looking for a place to eat and then seeing that there was a restaurant in like the city that was like listed as a South African cuisine place. And I was like, I've never ever gone anywhere that has had or has has like called itself like South African food. And I was like, I don't even know exactly what this will be because my family makes all kinds of different things. And so then I went and the food was so sad, Cebu. It was it was really disappointing. Um and it, it turns out it was it was owned by like a white South African couple. So they're eating different things from what did- uh, what did they have on the menu? I'm trying to remember. Um, it was a lot of it was like pretty like meat heavy, so that's that's like partly that my fault accurate. that I that I couldn't eat that. Um, but like a lot of it had like like Dutch names. There was this like weird oh, yeah. like kind of like casserole looking thing that they they had that was like a that just had like a long sausage on top of it and the sausage didn't look like it was cooked that well. Um, 
there was like a ball of meat that you could eat with mustard, like just like a flat, sad waffle. And I was like, I, like, what is any of this? This is not food. Yeah, um, none, none of this is exactly <laughs> bringing to mind any dishes I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I ended up getting to talk to, to the one of the people that owned it because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm also South African. And I was like, when, when'd you come over here? And they were like, 1993 and I was like yeah cool 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 yeah Um, I I think um if I if I think about South African food um meat heavy is definitely the one thing that I think carries through most uh cultural groups and styles of cooking um, I don't think we're very big on vegetarian unless you're looking at like the sort of South African, Indian, Hindu community because there's a sort of regularity of um, fasting without meat um, and then also just fasting without any kind of food. So there's there's a lot of um, vegetarian and in, uh, vegan dishes in that sort of tradition. Um but well, you guys yeah, also I mean, put cheddar on your pizza, which is wrong. Uh, um, yeah, look, I mean, South African pizza commits a lot of crimes. <laughs> I think um, I, I won't defend it, but I will yeah, say that we do have some bad. some nice innovations. Um, you know, up until recently, we, our sort of flagship uh, pizza company was uh, yeah, a group called Romans. Uh, still around but they've kind of like had to backtrack on their main selling point which was every pizza you order gets you uh, another pizza of the same size and equal price or cheaper which was great because it meant that you know if you went there it it was your place to go on a budget because you get good pizza and you get two of them Uh, they changed their name to roman's pizza because they were operating as little caesars uh, (laughs) with no no link to to the actual uh, Little Caesars. So oh, at some I point, I guess they must, have, they must have gotten a letter. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, so my mom took a bit of umbrage to them changing their name to Romans because that's that's her that's her surname. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I should go to South Africa and start a Pizza Hut. Oh well, we've got something just down the road from where we stay called a uh, Pizza Kaya. Which would translate to pizza home or pizza house. So you know, it's it's kind of carrying on that idea. But uh, Pizza Hut itself has already uh, touched our shores. We've got Pizza Hut and Domino's now. So yeah, you if you come here, you probably won't feel like it's much different from New Jersey. Uh, that was my mm-hmm. experience going to New Jersey. It felt like being in a Pretoria suburb. No, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> well, no, look, I mean, the main thing is nobody had electric fences. And mm-hmm. I think I accidentally walked onto people's property because it looked like a shop. And I, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I thought I was walking into a shop in Atlantic City, but then there's like people watching TV on a couch. <laughs> I was like, well, why do you why do you have a big neon sign in your window? <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was my sort of cultural shock. Um, I think maybe maybe everywhere is just like derivative of New Jersey because the first time that I went to Italy, I was like oh yeah this is just like this is just big new jersey like there's all these guys in muscle tanks that have like chest hair everyone's tan all the women are like wearing heels but like 
you know, like walking poorly because they're walking on like cobblestone streets. Like that's, mm. you know, everyone's Not wearing exactly crosses. For heels. Yeah. Um, I think, okay, my last observation about white South Africans as a whole is just that they do, they do this super funny thing, or at least the ones that I've met um, that I would not have expected. Um, Cause in the United States, you know, sometimes when you bring up like racism or especially if you're bringing up like, like historical racism, if you're talking about the legacy of slavery or um, anything like from before the civil rights era, there will sometimes be a white person that was like, ah, but that was so, like, that was so long ago. Like, what, what does that have to do with, like, right now? Like, now, like, people are being racist to us. Like, things, that's how much things have changed. Um, and then, you you know, you think about it for, like, five seconds, and there are people who were, like, alive before the civil rights era who are alive now. Um, and people who are their children and their grandchildren. So the, the legacy of like slavery and um, segregation is not that far away. But I've met white South Africans who also go like, I mean, but that was so long ago. Like, why are we still talking about that? Like now it's like, now it's about us, but about apartheid, which yeah. like, <laughs> ended, not that long ago. <laughs> like ended like the, the year I was born. Yeah, um, I mean, so, like you, like you were like three or four. Um, I was two. Okay, yeah. So like, it's it's not um, like it's a it's a thing that people who are alive and are not even that old can like have full memories from. Um, so I that's it's just like such, such a funny thing that people would be making the same argument um, about something that like I I feel like really has no justification for it and. I've, I've kind of respected the boldness a little bit to be like, ah, that was so long ago about like something that happened in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, if you, if you ask certain people, myself included, apartheid hasn't really even ended. It's just not even, it's just not like, you know, formally, it's not formal law anymore. But if you come to South Africa and you, you know, take a walk around, um, you know, where my parents live, where I live, you're seeing the sort of South Africa that was reserved for white people. Um, but if you just drive, you know, 15 minutes in any direction, you're going to see the parts of South Africa that were created and reserved for everyone else. So those things haven't disappeared yet. And like you said, you know, people who were born and able to have you know, formative memories of their childhood are only like on the middle to late range of millennials, you know? Um, so while I personally didn't live in South Africa during apartheid and have no memory of it, the fact that I was born in Canada is a direct, uh, it's, a, it's a direct impact of apartheid. My parents left to get away and to try and resist apartheid uh through exile so yeah it's it's quite ridiculous that that's an argument that we encounter like oh why can't we just forget about it um (laughs) (laughs) and what's what's also like super frustrating is that the 
you know, I can almost handle the ones who just want to forget about it because it's like at least there's some sense of like shame <laughs> attached mm-hmm. to that desire. But the ones who want to like divert the question to why don't we talk about reverse racism or like the white genocide? It's like, buddy, look at this restaurant. Like, do you really think that you'd feel comfortable having brunch in an all in a predominantly uh, white space? If there was an act of genocide, like why you guys <laughs> getting together in concentrated areas? Like that's like rule one: <laughs> disperse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously there there is a lot of violence in the country, but and that's not funny uh, at all. But you know, it's not. It's one of the few things that's surprisingly. <laughs> equal uh, along uh racial lines is like the 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 violent crime that people uh, experience is one of the few things that we share in common so um <clears throat> yeah to to kind of like loop back it's it's definitely a frustrating thing to deal with um because there was never any sense of uh accountability you know nobody who was responsible for any any uh racist policies or law or crimes against humanity faced any real consequence uh we had the trc where if you know some people did get charged and uh went to prison and others were able to uh you know exchange their um testimony for amnesty you know whatever that's fine i guess but there was very little in the way of material uh, restorative justice and one of the things that is particularly irksome is um this tired refrain that at least under apartheid there wasn't any corruption but you know under apartheid corruption was state sanctioned yeah, it sounds like the, <laughs> apart- the apartheid was the corruption exactly yeah uh, and at the end in the sort of uh, sundown of apartheid there was huge looting of uh, state owned assets so like you know people were suddenly buying property and uh, equipment at like a fraction of the actual cost so yeah i think um definitely most that there's there's a cartoonist named zapiro and i mean he's he's as liberal as they come but he has one great cartoon uh that he submitted to one of the newspapers and it was something like all the whites who didn't benefit from apartheid and it's just an empty frame (laughs) Um, and uh you know it's it's true if you look at what apartheid was and this is one of the things that i think is like a great um gap in our education system is that we kind of look at apartheid as individual laws instead of as an overarching philosophy or objective and apartheid really was like a, a it was a project at achieving class solidarity between two predominantly two white ethnicities the English, who were generally more well-off, better educated, owned land, and then Afrikaners, who less educated, uh, if they did own land, it would be very rural, and because of that, they all they could really offer was their labor, um, and apartheid was meant to prevent competition between 
uh, white labor and black labor by preserving certain opportunities for white laborers. And that was really how a lot of um, white people managed to benefit from apartheid. Um, and all the things that you learn about, like the anti-miscegenation laws and uh, the, the past books and all of that was sort of like, as it was starting to decay and to crumble and that power structure needed to be maintained to uh, enforce some sense of legitimacy. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's really not that long ago, um, and there's so much that still needs to be fixed, uh, but those conversations never happen honestly enough. Um, there's always an attempt to kind of evade or dodge, um, and I think if I can loop into that pet theory that I mentioned, I think for a lot of, um, a lot of white South Africans, there's this kind of myth or idea of being rebellious you know there was there's the uh um anglo boer war where like the the dutch settlers who had become the burghers are now trying to um overthrow colonial rule from britain so they they've got this history of being rebellious and uh you've got these great uh iconic figures in um white South African anti-apartheid activism who are also like uh, giving up so much by um, <laughs> rejecting apartheid and destabilizing their white privilege, um, but still never being able to fall as far as where black South Africans were placed. And, and a lot of people kind of latch onto that, that sort of, I'm a liberal, I helped, I voted for the DA, I would have voted for the ANC if they weren't so scary. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's um, there's this idea that I think a lot of people still have that they aren't, um, you know, that they aren't enabling fascism and racism um, and that they are still these rebellious figures because, you know, they were rebelling against the apartheid old guard and now they don't see themselves as being the new authority. So they don't understand why they are now the target of the next wave of, you know, thinkers who are dealing with race, with uh, inequality and with the leftovers of apartheid in South Africa. And they don't see why they're being targeted because they weren't the ones who, you know, were like letting loose police dogs or shooting purple dyed water at protesters. So why are they being vilified? Um, and I think, yeah, maybe that's uh, something that could inform why there's a strange attitude from people who are otherwise liberal, except when it comes to discussing, you know, you're a liberal, but you're living in this, uh, this comfort, this cushion of generational wealth and that generational wealth is built on generations of apartheid privilege you know your your emerald mines your um right well, <laughs> your, yeah. your farms your this hunting is, areas it's actually a good it's a good segue into elon because in his uh family history um, his dad was a representative to the Progressive Party, mm -hmm. um, which like 
allegedly was anti-apartheid and so like Elon Musk also was um like opposed to apartheid and like part of why he left South Africa was because he didn't want to be in the mandatory like military service Mm. um but also like he went to your high school which was an all-white high school at the time um and like there's even a quote like just like in the like wikipedia biography of elon musk like there's a quote in there from his father errol going like we had so much money that we couldn't even close the safe um (laughs) so it's like yeah okay like maybe they were anti-apartheid and like i'm not i don't know um but they also had like incredible wealth yeah i think um yeah with with that that high school that we went to it's um you know to its credit uh, Boys High is one of the schools that, throughout its history, has seemingly tried to be on the on the wave of change. So, when <clears throat> well before uh, the formal end of apartheid, it started to admit um, black students. But um, you know, just because you're letting black people into spaces doesn't mean that those spaces immediately become non-racist so it's, it's mm-hmm. been an ongoing project um and i think like any any sort of established school is always going to have some sort of uh, potential for flare-ups and incidents and that's also yeah. coming again from the fact that like you know who's going to these schools um and when you're dealing with schools that cater for the elite you're gonna end up with uh you know families like uh musks who you know for better or for worse, well, actually for worse, um, <laughs> were managing to make the best out of a situation that uh, extracted wealth from the black majority and concentrated it with the white minority. Um, so do I think that the Musks were liberal? Yeah, I do, in the same way that I think, you know, Steve Jobs and uh, Jeff Bezos are liberals for all intents and purposes. But, you know, like, liberalism doesn't really do much to protect uh the the weakest in society it's really mm-hmm. only ever going to look out for the middle class and that's like the lowest it'll go um yeah so. well, our, our president joe brandon is a liberal and he ran for office the first time on a platform of like getting rid of integrated uh school busing so you know um i also okay i was gonna say like i'm was I didn't want to say that I, like, supported Elon's classmates, given who they are probably now and who they were the children of, but I did learn in, like, my cursory research of Elon's childhood that he was, like, extremely bullied as a child and (laughs) at one point, like, was hospitalized when he was in high school because some kids, like, threw him down a flight of stairs, and I feel, like, justified. Like he was probably, he's probably like how he is now back then. And I would have bullied him too if I got the chance. So I support that that was happening. Um, I'm not sure if I'll, I'll go as far as to say that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, the other thing, okay, so I like learned about his mom something that maybe you already know, but she's a she's the canadian connection her name's may and her family came from canada to south africa because her dad was obsessed 
with the the lost city of Kalahari, which is not a, it's not a real place, mm-hmm. but some Canadian explorer in the 1800s went to South Africa and Zimbabwe and came back and was basically like, I found African Atlantis um, and wrote like different um, like anthropological like stories about it. And then people were like, oh, maybe this is real. And so they spent like a good 20 or so years looking for this lost city of Kalahari, which I might be pronouncing wrong, um, but it, it is not a real place. Um, and I, I just, I found that really funny that like, yeah, the, what is it, what is it saying? Like the, some people claim to have seen an abandoned boat or a stone quarry in, in the empty desert. Like they, they really thought that there was like a whole city just hiding out, missing there. And there were like 30 different expositions looking for it in the, in the thirties. Um, and it, you know, it never existed. Yeah. I've never heard of it, I'll be honest. Um, but that is kind of funny that there's sort of like a family history of um, throwing good money after bad. Maybe his behavior in the last month isn't uh, too unexpected if you know if you know enough about the, the lineage. Well, I feel um, like this is a, a precursor to the um, the Mars stuff. Mm. Like we're gonna establish a colony on Mars um, is his version of his grandfather looking for the the African Atlantis. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think if I can touch on something you mentioned about pronunciation, Kalahari is actually a mispronunciation. It's like an anglicization. Um, I think the uh, actual word is Kalahari, so it's um, something that I guess the the British couldn't or didn't uh, bother learning how to pronounce, so they just made it Kalahari. Um, but yeah, so I've, I don't know, the fact that you mentioned Zimbabwe makes it sound like maybe he was, he saw great Zimbabwe, the ruins, but hey, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to try and rationalize mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, those, those delusions there, but um, that that's really insightful and quite funny um (laughs) yeah his grandfather was like a chiropractor which is just like a a fake kind of doctor that gives out vitamins um and and, breaks your neck right and uh like an amateur archaeologist but that which i don't think really means anything i just think it means like that he was traveling around in his little plane um but he and his family um, ended up in South Africa because they were on this great search. Um, and that is how Elon's mom ended up in South Africa. And she she was a finalist in a um, South African beauty competition in the in the 60s. So I, I guess good for her. The, the other thing that I, I thought I was going to ask you, but I found out is it's actually got nothing to do with South Africa is like why are Elon and his siblings names so like strange because oh, I've no never idea. I've never met any South Africans that have names like that um so I was doing a little bit of research on it Elon is like a it is a Hebrew name but more people who have the name that has the same root that his is is like Elion um 
Squirt or something. Like, I, there's not that many people with the name Elon, maybe now. And then he has another, his brother's name is Kimball. Kimball's the one that's in all the photos with uh, Jeffrey Epstein um, that has, that has like, the 20-year-old, the um, like, girlfriend. And then Tosca um, is his sister. And none of those are names that, like, are normal to me. Um, Kimbo also owns a ton of restaurants in South Africa, so maybe maybe you know him. Um, I don't know. Like he's the one that looks like a cowboy. Um, yeah, I've seen pictures. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna be dead honest. The less I know about this family, the better. Um, <laughs> so, I, I've I've heard in conversation with like people who knew Errol that he was like a complete ass um mm-hmm. so that's that's the father um yeah and errol uh, is a is a more normal name so like i was like name, yeah. yeah i was like where where is elon coming from and I, I still don't know but it is not it's not like a common or or maybe even like at all like a white south african name it's just something that his family decided to do to him so that he would get bullied in school yeah, maybe. I mean, I think there's also like a, uh, you know, that sort of uh, attempt to break away from seeming too uh, run of the mill or middle class and like just picking very odd spellings of names or just unusual names. Uh, so, you know, don't go for like a traditional spelling of, I don't know, Georgia. Go for like a J O R rather than a G E O R. Um, <laughs> So maybe something like that could be coming into play. But hey, I'm just speculating here. Um, But what I will say, the whole thing about uh, Epstein Epstein and Mm -hmm. um, what's the other woman's name? Maxwell. Yeah. uh, That could also be something that runs uh, (laughs) through the lineage because Errol Musk impregnated his stepdaughter Right, yeah, he well, he and, didn't uh, just he didn't just get her pregnant. They're married now. They're married, he's, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's married to his daughter, which is just such a wildly disgusting. <laughs> yeah, thing. Um, I'm not even sure if it's legal, but hey, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, so okay, the other so the I don't know how much you got to learn about the um, Elon Musk like sexual harassment. Um, like accusation that's been made um but the main thing is just that like there were flight attendants for spacex who were like told that they had to on their own money like pay for um like massage training courses so that they could also be masseuses in addition to being flight attendants and then masseuse ended up being sort of like a euphemism um, that was unknown to them that they would also be like expected to like perform sex acts for people on like certain SpaceX flights. Um, and then the other thing that I found very disturbing but also interesting is that after he so he like sexually um, harassed someone by like exposing his dick to them. Yeah, and then in exchange for that offered to buy them a horse yeah i've 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 heard of this um i don't i don't know how much of that i can like chalk down to 
<laughs> being a white South African as opposed to Elon Musk just being a really like weird person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think you know maybe this is just the consequence of growing up so wealthy that you're detached from everyone else in the world. Um, but yeah, I don't know. All of that's weird. I don't know why he wouldn't just opt for like a cash settlement first. Like, you know, not to condone any of his behavior, but a horse is a very strange. Uh, you know, that's burdening a person that you've just assaulted. Um, so, so how is this good? Um, but um, yeah, I mean, all of his behavior since this has been the main thing that's brought it to my attention because you know it's like. I can't think of a guiltier move than to start your own in-house um, legal <laughs> firm just to <laughs> deal with the barrage of allegations that you expect to come. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think I think he's guilty as sin. Um, there's nothing anyone can say to convince me otherwise. Like, even if he wasn't as weird as he is, if someone tells me that, like, some wealthy CEO exposed himself to some sort of subordinate. I'm ready to believe it um, just because of how much has come to light in the past. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it's just a, it's an amazing combination of Elon Musk being probably intelligent in one area, wildly successful in a handful of areas and now he's kind of like bought into his own hype um i think he thinks he's smarter than he is smoother than he is i mean if you saw those pictures from the met gala like oh man i was dying inside um (laughs) but um yeah i think uh the let i'm just looking forward to everything around him crumbling so i never have to hear about him again but hopefully he doesn't turn into another Donald Trump where he starts to like bold off of his infamy and uh, uselessness to create some sort of platform for his own fame. You know, I think the, the fortunate thing about him not being American means that like there's only so far that he can go within American politics because you're not allowed to become president here if you were born in another country. Mm. So he can't go full Donald Trump mode. He could run for like Senate or something. Um, But I can't, I can't really see him getting into politics in a like legit way because the, the, the president actually, I think like while they have a lot of power, they have to like follow or they don't have to follow like as many like structural rules um, because they're sort of setting what the structure is within the executive office. But like someone who is um, a senator or a congressperson or a governor, like they sort of have like a like a day to day that they have to follow um, in a way that a president doesn't really. And I just can't see Elon like successfully sticking to a schedule. Um or like having having to do things, um, like having to actually do things because he you know he gets a lot of credit for like being a founder of different um, like companies and that's I think like when people are like oh you know you have to admit that he's a genius but like 
he did not found PayPal. He founded a different like financial like email payment company that was less successful than uh, PayPal and he merged with that one. And he also didn't like found Tesla. He paid he paid for the rights to like say that he is the the inventor of Tesla. And like he start like the way that he got his start was with this company Zip2 that um he was able to found just by borrowing money from his dad. And that was like what got him the initial money to like start doing all of these like other entrepreneurial things. And Zip2 is just like um do you have yellow pages? Yeah, actually, okay. my parents got a, a the last, the latest yellow page, and it's super thin now. It's like <laughs> probably two hundred pages max. It's crazy. Yeah, so it's just like it's like yellow pages, but on the internet. Um, and there's no way that like Zip Two is the even the only thing um, that was doing that at the time. So like he doesn't, he's not like a, a man of ideas. He is just like a man that has money that was able to like pay his way into being heralded as an innovator um so i just i can't see him like moving to anything not that like really government is legitimate but you do actually have to like get some things done whether it is like be successful in being paid off by lobbyists or like writing or passing legislation and so i just can't see him moving to anything that like requires him to have like something to show for the the time that he spent anywhere. Oh yeah, he's like, got a pretty bad track record as far as that goes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, because like either he would like not be successful at all as like a like I mean not that there's really any like legitimate like people within the the senator congress like getting some kind of like legislation done, or he would need to be successful in like delivering some sort of um like what's the word that i'm looking for um outcome for lobbyists the way that um who's the bisexual senator kristen senate kirsten cinema is like where she's like not doing anything but she's definitely doing it by way of being paid off mm-hmm. um i think yeah so i i can't see him doing anything outside of being um like a carnival barker style businessman and so it really like the the grandfather thing is really like making everything click into place for me where his grandfather was a, a chiropractor who went looking for african atlantis for 20 years it's so funny yeah, i think uh to touch on the idea about following in trump's footsteps i was actually thinking more about you know I think as well within the possibility that Elon Musk starts his own version of The Apprentice. Um, (laughs) And I think that can be extremely damaging for the cultural landscape of not only the US, but the rest of the world. Uh, Because I can fully see that. And uh, can you just imagine a (laughs) a TV show comprised of Twitter Musk bros? trying to work for one of his companies <laughs> i yeah i'm imagining like a cross between the apprentice and then the other like worst tv show have you ever seen shark tank yes 
Okay, because I think his, I'm like cl- closing my third eye, Elon, do not listen to this, but it would, I think the way that it would work would be like the contestants have to like pitch their own like startup idea in order to get like um, a seat at the table on the competition because like he'll be making them compete as entrepreneurs in order to work for him because they'll say the- like, Yeah. <laughs> And then the winner gets to have Elon Musk registered as the founder of their company. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm really like interested to see how this plays out because we've talked about it on this podcast before that the Me Too movement was, I think, not only unsuccessful um, in getting people to like reckon with the reality that there's a lot of people in power who um, not only use that power to like sexually assault and harass um, other people, but also like derive a lot of their power from their ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it was unsuccessful because I mean, for, for a lot of reasons, but one, but that it, it did not really give people um, a path to like holding perpetrators accountable because um, we don't really have anything here besides incarceration. It's very difficult to get someone incarcerated for sexual assault. Um, and even if you do, like if you're a person who thinks that rape and assault is bad, you probably don't want to send someone to prison. But that's like the only thing that we have really to hold people accountable or getting them fired from their jobs. Um, and even if you are able to do one of those two things, like that does not really remove the system in place that like was the reason that person did the harm. Like it doesn't matter who's on the casting couch seat, if the casting couch still exists. Um, and I think that we're seeing a backlash to that right now with stuff like the the Amber Heard case that is being really publicized where people are starting to revisit these different narratives about like what kind of woman should be believed and, you know, holding someone's reputation against them um, in order to like delegitimize their accusations. Um, and I had tweeted um, a couple days ago about how Azalea Banks, when she was, um, supposed to collaborate with Grimes on that song, which is where we got all of those incredible text messages from where she said that Grimes smells like a roll of nickels. Um, She had also said that uh, Grimes had propositioned her on Elon's behalf for a threesome and told her like that Elon thought that she was really hot and that like they wanted to do a threesome with her and do acid and that like she was stuck in that house for four days because she was supposed to be there to record and then that ended up not happening. Um, and I was like, and, and this is like clearly part of a, a pattern of behavior. And it's something that people should have paid attention to at the time. Like that this is like, this is at best inappropriate because if someone is coming to, you know, your home in a professional context, and then you try to get them to do drugs with you and do a threesome, like, that is extremely unprofessional behavior. And that's how he was treating someone who is um, not quite a peer, but someone who's like in the same realm that his girlfriend was. 
Um, so like, if that's how he feels comfortable treating someone like in that space, like, you know, how is he treating the people that works for him? And there's been plenty of evidence about like the, you know, the, the other kinds of harassment, um, and harm that his employees have come to. There's a lot of like anti-black behavior and obviously like union busting that's been happening at Tesla for a while. And all of that is part of the same thing. And I think Me Too really was not interested or able to address that. And so it was just about like naming certain individuals and then trying to take them out of power, but not really doing anything about the system in, systems in place that gave them that power in the first place, or asking the questions about like why it is that these certain industries where a lot of people were being named, um, you know, like what is, what is it about them that was creating a culture where harassment and assault was so common? Um, and I think when people don't know what to what to do about a problem like they either get used to it or they they start forming an opposition to it um because it i i think is like easier to give you a sense of control over things if um you know if there if there is like widespread harassment and sexual assault happening and nothing is being done about it that's a pretty depressing concept and it's a lot i think nicer to think that maybe actually everyone is lying or or like the victims are people that deserve it because then you get to create some distance um between yourself and them and you know say that like that would never happen to me or the people that i care about because like this person only experienced that because they do this and that or like they did something to provoke it and so i was seeing responses like that about azalea where people were bringing up different like fucked up things that she had said over time and it's like elon did not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he did not harass her uh, because she has like bad tweets like that yeah, he's not doing it out of some sense of like justice or retribution which would also be kind of like you know messed up as a yeah it wouldn't even premise. make any sense but they're like so I so either it's that like that she deserves it because she's like said some some shitty things before or um like that because she has said fucked up things in the past, that she should not be believed because she has a history of like saying things that people disagree with, um, which I think is like, right. And I think that like, if you, if you think about that for just a a little bit, like that is actually how people in power pick the victims that they have, because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's someone who is less likely to be taken seriously. And, and it's a lot of women that are, um, disabled and have mental disorders, like they experience higher rates of um, assault than other women do. And I think we're seeing something similar with the the Amber Heard case too, where people are like bringing up different like shitty things that she has said and done and being like, see, like, see, like Johnny Depp couldn't possibly have done, done the things that she's accusing him of because she's also shitty. And it's, it's a very, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a very, like, elementary school sort of outlook where um, I have not really been stepping into that conversation online much because I don't want to deal with the 
Johnny Depp stands. But yeah. if you say anything about him, because um, I, I find it, I find it very insulting to my intelligence that people think that he is not obviously an abuser. Because like some abusers, you know, like they hide in plain sight, right? Where like it, they are, they are showing you who they are in public. And then there are other people who are like. You know they're nice right like they are friendly they might like be nice to waiters um they might have a good reputation um in their circle of friends they might even be considered like a really kind person who does a lot of nice things for people there's that that woke ceo in seattle who uh, um dan price right where he i think has been like purposefully cultivating a sort of reputation for himself um as a person that does good um where he's he actually has a really like really dark um recent history of like multiple rapes and domestic abuse um but that's like exactly the sort of thing that an abuser does where they like intentionally cultivate a reputation for themselves so that it is harder for their victims to be believed. Yeah, they're muddying the water. But Johnny Depp is not, he's not doing that. Like, he is very much hiding in plain sight. So I, I find it very insulting to my intelligence that people are like, oh, how could how could he possibly do this to anyone um, when he's behaved the way that he has? And so I'm, I think I'm just, I'm interested in seeing with what this backlash is is like right now the way that the accusations against Elon will be addressed because I'm already seeing comparisons being made between this like unnamed victim and Amber which doesn't make any sense because we don't know who who they are um but saying like see like look at this example of a woman who has lied so obviously this other woman might be lying in order to take Elon down um but he's Elon is also acting very guilty because he was claiming that political attacks are going to be coming yeah. out about him literally the day before this this article. Um, like he's not um, behaving the way that someone who was not like legitimately doing something would be behaving. And then and then the like open call for legal services says to me that he placed a private call um, that got turned down um, because of what he was asking asking for, maybe. So I'm, I'm just like, I'm very interested to see what the response is going to be like, if this is going to be something that brings Elon down in some way, or if he'll be able to, to ride through this. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in general, if you take a look at um, any sort of profile sexual predator or uh, perpetrator, I guess, um, it doesn't really seem like there's very long-term repercussions for that kind of behavior unless it's, like, seriously aggressive, you know? like. I mean, and even then, it's like, I can think of of all the people who were named from Hollywood during the, like, Me Too movement, mm. it's really just Kevin Spacey that I think took a serious hit to his career um, and has not... I mean, he's he's been in actually, like, two movies since 2018, but not um, 
not at the caliber of movies that he was in before. Mm. Um, but and I even can't, then, a like, part of me wonders like how much of that is also possibly homophobic. Like right, yeah, I think like his accusations might have been taken more seriously because there was also like a, an element of homophobic backlash to it. Um, but I, like of the the other people who were named some of them are still working in hollywood under pseudonyms if they you know were more like directors or like other people that were behind the scenes mm. um and then some of them are just still working like uh, louis ck was nominated for a grammy in 2021 yeah. so i and i feel like with how crucial tesla and spacex unfortunately is for um like the united states infrastructure I am curious if maybe it is at a place where it is like too big to fail because it's it's already pretty heavily subsidized by our government, um, and I I think like Tesla failing um, would be a pretty pretty like stark blow to our economy um, because there's so many like different hands that are involved in it now even though they don't they don't like really produce anything. Um, but I think like, like everything in the United States right now, it's like just a, a money laundering scheme. And so I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there will be like an effort to protect Elon's reputation because of that, or if he'll be like asked to step more into the, the shadows or something, but I, I can't see him doing that. Cause he let lo- that man loves to be online. He loves the spotlight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, gee, uh, <laughs> You'd hope that the th- the outcome would be that you know he gets distanced from his companies so that they can preserve their importance without him. And I mean, I'm pretty sure most of the work happens with or without him. But if we do look at the uh, sort of cultures that have been uh, cultivated in these companies, then I think yeah, it does make sense. I I can easily believe that he's done the things that he's accused of. Um, and like the whole thing of like you know okay so i i assaulted you what does my body look like like that's a weird defense mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah it was uh, like <laughs> name name five things about me like <laughs> like oh you really like this band like name, yeah, name five name, songs, name five songs like, by metallica <laughs> yeah <laughs> name, name five name. things that like that you can't google about me like as <laughs> as proof uh but um, I think yeah, maybe maybe he's gonna be lucky in a bit of a demented, deranged way, in that um, you know, we've, we're seeing this kind of backlash against Me Too. Um, this wave is coming, crashing backwards. Um, so possibly there's not enough public desire to kind of put the pressure on him, you know, turn on the screw, so to speak. Um, but. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful. I would love to see Elon taken down. And I feel like the, the maybe the way that this could work, potentially, is that since it is also happening at the same time as like crypto is crashing, like maybe maybe people are ready to throw him out. But I'm just, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, maybe hopefully Elon Musk is like the Midas of shit and... Uh, <laughs> people can finally see through that um but i think yeah um i hope that he 
catches the full extent of whatever repercussions uh, for all of his behavior uh, are, on his, are on their way. Um, but I think just knowing how justice systems in general seem to favor the exact demographic that he is, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I think um, unless he does something to really, like, you know, piss off the establishment and he, you know, just Madison Cawthorns himself, then um, <laughs> right. I, I don't really... Um, I don't really see much except maybe like a a settlement. I don't see prison time. Hopefully he gets pushed out of the seat for the companies that he's in charge of. And maybe that can be some way of reforming what they are, you know, get rid of the racism and the shoddy workmanship of Tesla, turn it into a product that can actually possibly be useful and green for the future. I think ele- electric cars, period, are just bad because, oh, yeah. like, they um, have to. What's that mineral called? It's like cobalt, Lithium. right? Lith- and that. Yeah, where it's like, I think I think the the like environmental impact of like making a Tesla is impossible to offset by owning one. I think that you you do better by just like getting a it's used like car. Impact. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, you know, even though you might be able to explain why Elon is like that with, uh, some reverse racist, uh, like white South African, uh, like studies, I think that the reason that he is successful as he is, is extremely American because there's nothing that people in this country love more than like a self-made man who isn't self-made and like lives in a house of mirrors um, I feel like he's very, and I mean this in a derogatory way, like the modern day Thomas Edison. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I think that that's, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see where this goes. Um, I hope that the person who is speaking out, like, is able to get some measure of justice for themselves. Um, and I, I am sure that this is going to lead to a wave of other people speaking out if, like, this person doesn't experience too much backlash, given, like, the Azalea story and that it seems like it's fitting into a pattern of how he treats people. Um, But we'll, I guess we'll just have to see. And I think maybe the the last thing that I wanted to ask you about is only a little bit related, but... um, I think it's 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 high time that you and I pool our significant family financial resources um, and get some NFTs. Oh God! Because <laughs> they're they're you know like they're they're cheap right now, um, but it's gonna go it's gonna go back up. The line's gonna go back up real soon, and um, I think. If you and I, once again, we pool our significant family resources that we have, um, all of that South African generational wealth um, that yeah, we both have, runs. right? Um, we get we get some NFTs, um, and then we leverage that against the South African government, okay, and use it to get you electricity. Yeah, uh, I love that idea. I think, um, I, yeah, the the line's down at the moment. I've been mm-hmm. looking at Luno. That's like <laughs> South African uh, 
Coinbase, I guess. <laughs> wait, wait, you have? Well, oh, oh, it's not okay. It's not a South African crypto coin. It's just your like your wallet. Just a wallet, yeah. Okay, okay, that makes um, more sense. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I mean, like on my way to work, I can see the the Luno building on the skyline. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! But uh. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, now's the time. You know, we get invo- we get involved in Tezos. We get involved in that one that like uses your hard drive. What's it called? Right. Chia. Yeah, um, I think we've got to we've got to put our hands in all of them so that way, like, you know, they're all going to go up, but one of them is probably going to go up a lot because um, because crypto is not over, baby. It's 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 never it's never going to be over. I think actually, Cebu, it's so crazy to think about how much electricity and energy these like forms of like cryptocurrency and like its offsprings are burning when like you are in a situation right now where your electricity has to be shut off for two hours to conserve power and there like are are other places where like access to electricity is um like even more scarce um and like that, that is actually just kind of insane to think about that, like, we could pretty easily fix that by just getting rid of all those lions. Oh, yeah. You know, um, once the once the poachers finally kill the lost rhino, that's going to free up so much um, real estate that we can install some uh, solar panels and hook up a bunch of graphics cards to that so we can uh, crunch these numbers. And then we can turn the the big five into NFTs. So even though we we only have four left, um, mm. <laughs> we we could then uh, you know you use that that revenue that we generate, uh, and it's it's really just digital tourism at that point. Because why come to South Africa to see a rhino when you can own a rhino NFT? You know, like move over, ugly monkeys. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're here for these uh these keratinous horned creatures um but uh you know jokes aside and if my monotone could, didn't betray that i was being absolutely ironic there <laughs> I, think, uh, <laughs> um, I uh i i flirted with the idea of nfts this was a Ooh. little bit before uh people happened because uh, it, it came onto my radar i guess just like by virtue of the things that I'm interested in being, you know, digital art, art and uh, making money online um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and just having a cursory awareness of what uh, cryptocurrency was. And uh, even at that point, I'd started to encounter the research about like just how environmentally detrimental it is and the absolute crapshoot of uh, spending what would be for me like I guess a day and a half's worth of money, uh, or a day and a half's worth of pay, rather, um, in the hopes that someone then buys this digital certificate, just didn't really seem like a good gamble. Um, so I quickly dropped that idea before I actually uh, got into it, and I then kind of hoped that if anyone ever brought it up, I could just uh, talk them out of getting into it. Um, haven't been absolutely successful but uh yeah it's a lot of a lot of artists that i some some of them that i know and like that have gotten into this and it's been very disappointing 
Um, I have been able to talk some people out of it because I think the environmental impact um, of it was not well known by everyone. And so it just seemed like a, a way to make money. But other people that I've talked to about it are like, well, everything's bad for the environment. And like, maybe that's true. But, you know, if you like run the air conditioner in your house, that's not like fantastic for the environment, but it is doing something for you. Like it's, you know, it's keeping you cool versus like an, an NFT does nothing. Um, it has, it has like no benefit. It just has the, the impact. Um, and I think that that part of it was like not considered by people who were just trying to make some money. Um, yeah. If you had done an NFT, would you have done like a shitty version of your good art because a lot of the artists that I know and like many of the like ones who are much more famous like when they make an nft it's like they they intend like they it seems like they intentionally make their art bad um and then they're like that this is this is my nft art yeah um i can't I can't remember what the website was called, but um, it was like a invitation only uh, NFT gallery. Uh, so you could mm-hmm. either be invited to it or you could apply to be shown. And at the time, like a lot of the NFT work was still, you know, conceivably made by people even though it was pretty shit and like mostly just like Bitcoin symbols and garish colors. Um, so I felt like I had an easy way in because I, I was going to put up some of my digital art that had that sort of internet aesthetic, but was actually nice to look at. Um, but, you know, maybe I would have been a complete failure because if I look at the kinds of NFTs that have actually taken off, uh, they're all horrible. Um there's very few people who are actually trading on any sort of like aesthetic quality of the work. It's all just hoping to, you know, flip an asset mm-hmm. before, you know, before you're left holding the bag. Um, yeah. So I was actually looking at it as a way of showing work that had been rejected by traditional galleries. So I felt that maybe the work that I was making was a bit too internet-y, a bit too digital Uh, and didn't really fit on the walls of a traditional gallery space. So I thought, let me put it on to this uh, online gallery. Um, So at the time, my first instincts or thoughts were, you know, NFTs sound kind of useless and this market seems horribly inflated, but that's kind of the perfect analog for... Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. for the actual art world because you know we're making things that are at base level worthless the only value that you can give them is a sort of cultural or personal value and then exchange value as far as money goes but physically they don't do anything um, they, they don't exist as functional objects outside of the cultural importance we give them so I thought hey if I'm already flirting with this uh internet aesthetic why not let it uh have its life on the internet um and that was sort of when i i guess being who i am and being terminally cautious i wanted to make sure that i wasn't going to be getting myself into some kind of uh, difficulty whether it be the money that i spend or um 
what have you, any any other issues. And that was yeah, when I found out most artists aren't making the money back that they spend minting their works. Right. All the works that are minted end up having a horrible carbon footprint. And just like Bitcoin, just like every other uh, digital currency, cryptocurrency, it's just... Um, it's just laundering. Uh, right. and like I, yeah, don't want to, I want to try and keep my hands as clean as possible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I thought, let me, let me step away from this before I get too involved. And, you know, when I was looking at people making money, whether it was like folks I knew or just strangers, uh, there was a little bit of regret, but um, at the same time, I think I'd, I'd have to change and destroy a significant part of myself to, not be consumed by guilt uh with whatever money i would have made well and again we've got we've got all that family wealth yeah yeah. that we can we can draw on it at any time um speaking of family wealth um did you know that there are seven south african billionaires one of them is elon so there's six more I did not. I should look that up. Oh, uh, I, um, I'm, I just want to quickly read you their names and then you could maybe guess or I can just tell you what industry that they're in, but there, sure. there's a pattern and I think, I think we're going to figure it out pretty quickly. Is so it there's, exploiting the natural environment? <laughs> there's, there's Ivan Glassenberg. What do you think he does? Glassenberg, that sounds like he is either in metals refining or in mining okay yeah he is the chief executive officer of glencore which is one of the largest commodity training and mining companies um then there is johan rupert oh yeah um he's a he's a big figure uh furniture isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. like luxury goods um and then there's Nikki Oppenheimer. I'm starting to notice a theme with these names also. Um, um, media? I think the Oppenheimer's no? not newspapers. He's, I mean, may, like maybe there's also newspapers that he owns, but he was the chairman of De Beers. Oh, okay. Diamonds. Cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, when whenever it is that you uh, get married, you have to make sure that you get a real diamond because De Beers published a study saying that women... Um, are sad when they see artificial diamonds and they don't think that... Um, They're as emotionally that, impactful. Yeah. Um, then there is Patrick Soon Xiang, and he's, I guess, notable because he's one of the few non-white people on this list. Um, he's a He does biotech, so okay. health startups. Oh, Patrice. Uh, oh, He's the only black person on this list, yeah. you know, so, but he's not doing great. He's doing, he's the executive he's chairman of, yeah, yeah, African Rainbow Minerals. Um, someone named Kos, Kos Becker? Kos. Uh, Kos? Um, it, it's like a qu sound, Kos. Kos, okay. Yeah, Kos. Oh, and his name is J- Jacobus? Jacobus yeah, yeah. is a, what kind so of, is, is this Dutch? It's a Dutch name, Jacobus. So okay. it's usually shortened to Quibus or Quis. Uh, I had a friend whose name was Jacobus, became Quibus, became Quis, became Kos, which means sock. And eventually we were just, calling, <laughs> we 
We were just calling him Sock. Um. <laughs> That's a non-binary name. <laughs> uh, I, he's, he is the chairman of a media group, so we've okay. got one, one non-verse. Yeah, and then the final person is the like founder um, and I think current CEO of a your like a big bank in South Africa. His name is Michel Leroux. The okay. bank is Capitec. So those are all of your billionaires. All, pretty much all of them um, are mining, or in Elon's case, like they've got money that comes from from mining. So I'm not sure um, what we can do about that. But that's maybe maybe that's the key key to how to get rid of their money is that we, we need to take control of the mines um, or something. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think I spoke about this one in the previous uh, previous podcast I, I helped out on. But um, our current president was on the board for the mine that uh, killed a bunch of miners who were protesting. For a little bit more money uh, per day, uh, so yeah, I think mines in South Africa continue to be a site of violence between um, the interests of the wealthy and those who live on the land or work the mines. So we still have a lot of um, assassinations of people who are standing up to mine companies. Uh, that's that's an ongoing thing. It doesn't really seem to break the news very often, but. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a lot of community organizers who've suddenly woken up dead um, <laughs> just as a mine company was getting ready to advance. I'm, uh, mm. I'm going to have to disappear. Our power is okay. going off soon and I need to cook dinner. All right. I was uh, going to, yeah, I was going to ask uh, if we wanted to sign off. And so maybe um, we can just, uh, where can people follow you if they want to do that? Um, I think uh, they can probably follow my instagram okay uh, I, I am i have recently purchased a midi controller so i'll be making some of the worst music you've ever heard um, <laughs> nice <laughs> so if you'd like to experience that interspersed with whatever art material or medium has taken my fancy for the week then you can follow me at silu.masters um and Cebu uh, also makes art that you can commission him for sometimes. Um, and you hold some galleries sometimes also. So if people follow you on social media, then they can find out about all of that. Um, yeah, and I am commodify this on Twitter and big soy naturals is also just big soy naturals on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's it. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's always great chatting. Yeah. Okay, have fun making dinner. Shall do. Bye. Have a great day. Okay. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. Cock is one of my favorite tastes. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. The American when I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White. Not only smoke, that, I feel like a ball smell amazing. Yeah, I like green because it makes me lean. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. When I hit high, then it's time to smoke. They are dangerous people. Like, I cannot get it far enough down my throat to be satisfied. I'm only satisfied when I feel those intense, powerful, salty, hot pumps of cum down my throat. This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic.